so uh, you'll be able to see this. I'm very excited today to be talking on what's your gimmick. We're doing a few one parts and I'm talking on what is your gimmick today. So I want to tell you the story of this device. Um, it has a very fancy name. It is called the Baccarat. With a name like that, you would imagine this to be something that is going to transform our lives. I'll tell you a bit about the story of this. So uh, we were at a friend's house, and uh, they um, were using this device. Now, what you do, it's amazing. Uh, how many of you guys don't like the onion that gets in your eyes when you're trying to cut onions? few hands, the rest of you are either just not participating, um, or you love onions being in your eyes. We had the same problem last week as well, but I'll get you guys there. I know it's very difficult to raise your hands. It's a tough thing to do. It's hard on a Sunday. It's a day of rest. So, uh, so this is what you do with this device, is you get an onion, whole onion, you always just take off the outer layer, put it in here, and then on the, you just put it on top of uh, the board or whatever else, and you just go flat out, and this blade is super sharp, and it twists as you cut, and in a matter of seconds, boom, your onion is diced. No crying, you know, nothing like that, no emotional moments, it's done. And it's not just that, this does anything you want. Put in anything you want, sweets, chocolates, uh, anything that you want to chop up into sort of some rough dimensions, this is what it does. So we go to our friends, we're gonna have curry there, and we see this, and it just looks like a thing of beauty. I mean, the lady there is just like, and we're just like, oh my goodness, this is gonna transform our lives. They're never gonna be the same. She was like, yeah, I know friends of mine bought it for me, they also have one, this thing is mind blowing. So we're like, where did you get it? She's like, I'm not exactly sure, I think they got it from South Africa, so what do we do? We, we sort of see it a little bit in action, we get online, and I find in South Africa, the only place to get it is a shop called At Home. So we down south on holiday in April, um, and we hunt through, we check for prices, in fact, it's not exactly the cheapest piece of um, equipment, but because this was gonna transform our lives, of course we were gonna spend the money on it. So we, um, we eventually find it at the shop, and I'm like, guys, have you by any chance got this thing, it's called the Baccarat? They're like, of course, right over here, so I come up there, part with quite a bit of cash, but it doesn't matter, because this is gonna solve our lives. So we bring it back, and we we're so excited. First day, we're like, this is amazing. We get back from holiday. We're going to make a curry. We get out the onion. And then, I mean, Sarah just starts going for it. And she's just like, I'm love. Am I doing something wrong? Because this really doesn't seem to be doing what it's supposed to do. So we check it out and we make sure, is it really working? Yes, the blades seem to be going like this. So we just try again. And this onion is just in a mash of just like stuff everywhere. So we're like, okay, well, maybe we've got the blades wrong. Do you have to sharpen the blades? We're like, well, how are you going to sharpen these blades? And uh, we try again. We eventually got the onion in into sort of like this mash of, I mean, it wasn't nicely done, and it took us a lot longer than just doing it with a knife. But at least our eyes weren't watering. So they were crying with the amount we spent rather than anything else. So we thought, well, maybe that's a bit too tough for it. Let's get a tomato and try. Well, I mean, that was even worse. I mean, it didn't even cut through the skin. So we just had this mashed thing of tomato. It was horrific. Um, so, I mean, maybe this happens to be a dud. Maybe this is, in fact, a great product. But to us, we looked at this going, this is going to solve problems in our life. This is going to make life so much easier. And it did not do that at all. And uh, we haven't used it since. <laughs> so if anything, um, it's just a great thing to talk on in this preach that it's been useful for. So we didn't bother searching the reviews. Once I did that, probably four or five days ago, um, it's got like a two out of five star on most sites. So I mean, if I'd done that before, I might not have spent the money on it, but who needs reviews when your friend tells you this thing is just mind blowing? Um, so it wasn't cheap, we thought it was going to transform our lives, but what looked good didn't meet with our expectations. So what we expected this was gonna do in our life 
It just didn't. It didn't live up to our expectations. It didn't solve all our problems of the cutting like we thought. It was very difficult to clean, which is part of the reason we don't want to use it again. Um, and it didn't bring the fulfillment that we were after. Now, there's a group in the Bible who were after the same sort of thing. They were after something that would solve problems in their lives that they didn't feel like they were getting from elsewhere. Group of people after a baccarat of sorts, and we pick up the story in a book called Exodus in the Bible. Now, I'm sorry that it's not going to be up there, so if you have your Bibles, please turn. Um, the reason being that we're having some issues with our Office 365, but I hope it'll be sorted very soon. So Exodus 19, we're gonna travel through about three chapters. If you don't have a Bible here, don't worry, you'll be able to follow the story, um, or you can share with someone next to you there. Speaking up the story, um, Exodus uh, follows the story of people, um, of God taking his people out of captivity in Egypt. So where we pick up the story in Exodus 19, they've been in the wilderness for a while. He did a huge amount of miracles to get them out. Uh, Pharaoh's heart continued to get hardened. Eventually, um, the, the, the sea opens, they pass through, it closes over, and uh, now God's taking them on a journey. And he's taking them into the promised land, but through hardness of heart, and him actually trying to do a work more in their hearts than in the physical, they sort of just go round and round in circles in the desert, never really learning what they're supposed to as God's people. Eventually they do get there, but we're, we're picking it up. They've been in the desert for a short period. So it says, 19 verse one to nine, we'll start on there. In the third month, from the very day the Israelites left the land of Egypt, they came to the Sinai wilderness. They traveled from Rephidim, excuse any of my pronunciations, came to the Sinai wilderness and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain, so Mount Sinai. Some of you may have heard of that. Moses went up the mountain to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. This is what you must say to the house of Jacob and explain to the Israelites. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you're to say to the Israelites. After Moses came back, he summoned the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. Then all the peoples responded together, heard everything, um, you're gonna be my people, um, I've um, done this specially for you, I brought you out of Egypt, a special kingdom um, of priests for myself. And what is their response there? Um, then verse eight, then all the people responded together, we will do all that the Lord has spoken. So Moses brought the people's words back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear when I speak with you and will always believe you. Moses reported to the people the words of the Lord. So God sets out his passion for a close, intimate relationship with his people for all time, and they respond, yes, God, that's what we want. The Israelite people did that a lot. <laughs> so they did, yes, Lord, and it took them a few moments and they were on a different direction. But that's what he wants for each of us. That needs to be our desire. It's what he wants for each of us now. He's, imagine him saying the same words to each of us. It's what he's desperate for. A people now, we're meeting as church together, but we become, as we give our lives to him, we become his sons and daughters. One day we're gonna see this kingdom for all eternity, but now he wants us to be his representatives on earth as the Israelites were in that time, as he wanted them to be in that time. He says to them, 
it's not over yet, Moses. What I'm going to do is I'm going to come down on a thick cloud close to the people. Now you're up on the mountain, we're chatting. But I want the people to know how real I am. I want them to hear my voice speaking out of this dark cloud. So I want them to be close just as you are. And then if they're close and if they really hear my voice, then they're going to stay and they're going to love me forever. They're not going to turn aside. But, but they need to know who I am close, up close and personal. So if you jump across, he then shares all these different commandments. He lays them out with Moses. And uh, then if you jump to Exodus 20, verses 21 to 23. I actually start from 18. Exodus 20, so you flip over, um, verse 18. So this is what happens. All the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain surrounded by smoke. This was God bringing his presence. When the people saw it, they trembled and they stood at a distance. You speak to us, and now talking to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But don't let God speak to us or we will die. Moses responded to the people, don't be afraid for God has come to test you so that you will fear him and not sin. The people remained standing at a distance as Moses approached the total darkness where God was. Then the Lord told Moses, this is what you're to say to the Israelites. You have seen that I've spoken to you from heaven. Do not make gods of silver to rival me. Do not make gods of gold for yourselves. So Moses gets a download from God and then God says, listen, that's great, but I'm gonna show the people everything um, that I want them to do, how I want them to live. And uh, he then comes down in this cloud. Comes down and he, he's desperate for them to hear, but the people are afraid and the people stand far off. They stand far away. I wonder how often we stand far off from God because we're afraid, because we've got a picture of him that we, we shouldn't really have. You see, the Israelite people had this opportunity, this open access to be close to the King of Kings. They had this access to walk towards him and to be in the midst of this cloud in his very presence like Moses. But they're like, no, no, Moses, you, you do it. You go hear from God, then you, you tell it to us because we're a little bit afraid. This is, this is a little bit scary for us. I wonder how often you and I miss out on what God wants to say to us because either we have a wrong perspective on him or else we don't want to take the action to, to move towards something that's a little bit unknown. Moses was happy to. There would have been fear in Moses. This was the living God he was talking to, but, but he listened to God's voice and he went. He went into that cloud, but the people stood far off. Don't stand far off from God's presence. Don't stand far away. Don't just want to hear from other people. Don't sit and be happy to come on Sunday and just go, oh, it's okay. Um, Craig, you say that, or Ian, you say that, or someone else say that. That's fine. I, I can hear from a distance. That's okay, and I'll keep repeating that every Sunday. No, step in towards God on your own. Do it on your own. Walk towards him on your own. So whilst they're far off, God continues to speak. He speaks to Moses and he talks to Moses. He tells him many different things, warnings and everything else. He's spoken for a long time. Pick up the story in Exodus 24 so you can flip over a little bit more to, to Exodus 24. He's done this download. Moses is sharing this on with the people. And then God isn't done yet. He still wants to speak a bit more. So look what he says, Exodus 24, 12 to 18. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain 
and stay there so that I may give you the stone tablets with the law and commandments I've written for their instruction. So he's spoken it. He wants to be more clear for the people. He wants to write it out in his own hand, the finger of God, for Moses to get and then bring down to the people for all time. So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua, went up to the mountain of God. He told the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. Aaron and Hur are here with you. If any of you have a dispute, go to them. When Moses went up to the mountain, the cloud covered it. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called to Moses from the cloud. The appearance of the Lord's glory to the Israelites was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. Moses entered the cloud as he went up the mountain and he remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. What an experience Moses must have had. He answered God's call. He went up to the mountain in God's presence. Have you answered God's call to come up his mountain? Psalms talks about ascend the hill of the Lord. Moses was invited by God Because of Jesus coming, we have open access to God that the Israelites never had, and God's calling. And each day he's calling, saying, will you come up the mountain to meet with me? The alarm goes off early in the morning, and he's saying, will you come up the mountain today? Middle of the day, maybe whenever you've got a a free moment, there's an opportunity to look at Facebook, look at the news, whatever else, just hear the Holy Spirit going, come up the mountain. You've got five minutes in your day. Are you answering his call to come up the mountain into his presence? When was the last time you and I put aside distractions to be with him? It's where it really happens. Not going, okay, I've got a quick moment to read my Bible, but I just need to keep my phone open in case someone phones me. So I just need to make sure it's got to be close to me and I actually need to read my Bible on my phone. That's where it all is. So I can't really put my phone down, um, but I, you know, I, I just need to be ready in case something needs to invade. No, put the phone away, turn it off if you have to. Sit in his presence, but get up that mountain. It's what it's really about. And in the busyness of life that we face, it's just so easy to let distraction and after distraction step in. But then we won't experience what Moses did. As I was preparing this, something gripped me about the time that Moses spent in God's presence. So it doesn't talk about whether he ate or not, but it talks about the 40 days, right? The 40 nights that he was there in God's presence. God only spoke to him after, after six or so. And uh, something that really struck me is that God's outside of time, right? So he knows the beginning from the end. He's been there already. He's been there in the past. So in a way, when we spend time in his presence, we enter timelessness. We enter the timelessness of God because we enter his dimension. And it's quite an amazing thing where sometimes you can spend sort of a moment with God. His presence comes and it feels like you've been somewhere for ages, but it's been a moment. Other times, you can feel like, well, I've just been with, surely I've only been with him for, for two or three minutes. It's been like 45 minutes. Why? Because time is different in his presence. It's a different dimension. Imagine for Moses, those 40 nights didn't, didn't really mean a lot in the very presence of the living God. And if you haven't experienced that, it just comes when you spend time with him. Something magical, mysterious. Magical is probably the wrong word. Supernatural happens when we spend time with a timeless God because he's outside of it. He's not linear like us. He sees everything. He overarchs all of it. And it's just so special to spend those moments in his presence where time seems to stand still or it seems to go on forever. And that's what Moses experienced and you and I can experience the same. 
It's the reason why we can ask God for wisdom about a future situation that we know nothing about. Why, because he's already been there, so when we're in his presence, and he's outside of time, he knows exactly what's gonna happen in that situation, so when we say, Lord Jesus, that meeting that's coming up next week, that thing I don't know about, the thing that my child's experiencing, or what, she, what that child has coming up, Lord, I don't know what that situation is gonna be like, I don't know what I need, but please give me the wisdom. The only reason we can ask him that is because he is outside of our own linear time scale. He knows the situation, so he can give us what we need, he can give us the wisdom we need to make that decision, because he's already been there. It's mind-boggling to think about. So, so special to think about. So while God's downloading these things to Moses, the people begin to look at their surroundings and their earthly leadership instead of God. Instead of what he's given, instead of the many miracles he's done in getting them out of Egypt and out of captivity, they start to look around at everything around them and their struggles and their trials and where's Moses? He's been gone for a number of days. So take their eyes off God and they put their eyes onto the natural. They start to look for earthly solutions to supernatural problems. You see, their problem before God, it was their heart. It wasn't really the things out and about. What God was really trying to get them to a place of is understanding that they needed him in their heart and that external wouldn't solve that problem. Just wanna challenge you and I, don't look to man for solutions that are really about your heart. We're so good at taking our eyes off Jesus and putting them onto earthly surroundings and putting them onto people, putting high expectations on people when actually our eyes should be on Jesus. The minute that we take them off Jesus and start to try and find our own solutions, that's when problems come in your heart and in your life. But it's interesting, Moses was in God's presence and I wonder whether he was that concerned about earthly things in those moments with God. In fact, he didn't even know that the Israelites were struggling. God had to tell him because he was so enjoying and so with God's presence that earthly things didn't mean anything to him. Friends, when you're in God's presence, your problems don't disappear, but you gain the correct perspective on them. They don't disappear. God says we're gonna have issues in this world. They're gonna happen, but when you're in God's presence, they get their proper perspective. Once you're out of God's presence, that's when problems take on a role in your life that they shouldn't. They look massive when they shouldn't, but it's because you've walked out of his presence. Moses had concerns, he had issues of discomfort, he was trying to lead a people who were really difficult to lead to places he didn't know where he was going. He was hanging on God for every word on what he should do. But I don't think he would have traded any of those precious moments of the Lord for those struggles and trials to start thinking on those. I've no doubt the weight of those leadership pressures and decision-making pressures started to shrink as he enjoyed God's presence. I have no doubt because he had the proper perspective. And as I said earlier, he wasn't even aware of the chaos that was happening down in the camp, which we're gonna read about now. God had to tell him. (laughs) He was with God, so God had to say, hey, have you seen what the people are doing down there? Because he was so engrossed in God's presence. You can be in the midst of a stressed out people in a stressed out nation like this or anything else, but you don't have to have the stress. You don't have to have the concern if you're in God's presence. You can be standing next to someone or at a table in a restaurant and they're down from you and they are massively stressed about a situation. You can be sitting in perfect peace with the same situation because you're in God's presence. It's a matter of a change of of where you are and who you're with rather than the issues that are around you.
You can be in the midst of a stressed out people, in the midst of chaos, but you can be at perfect peace, not because of where you are, but because of who you are with. Get with the right person, Jesus Christ. You'll see things in their proper perspective. Get out of alignment with that. You'll start to struggle. So the people waiting on man rather than God, so they start to grumble at their surroundings and they approach the next man leader they could, who Moses left in charge, Aaron. No waiting on God, no rushing into his presence, no pushing into it. They started to create man-made plans to their problems. At your point of desperation, that's the time to push into God, not to go the opposite direction. Half the time it's at our point of desperation that we're just on the edge of breakthrough and we turn around and go the opposite direction just as God is about to show himself powerful, powerful in our midst. So at your point of desperation, I don't know where you are now, maybe it's business-wise, maybe it's family-wise, um, I don't exactly know where your point of desperation is. Push into God rather than away. He'll meet you at your point of greatest need. So who's the Moses in your life? Who's the one who leads you instead of Jesus? Moses was a great man, but the problem for the Israelite people is they look to him, and then after him they look to Aaron to solve their problems rather than Jesus. So who's that figure in your life? Is there someone who you look to? Is it um, someone you're in business with? Is it a spouse? Is it the president? Who is it that in your life kind of takes the place of God? They'll never meet the expectations that only God can live up to. It's so important that we look at, um, we, we look up to people in our life, very important, but they must never be the sole person we look to above Jesus Christ. Yes, we must imitate, imitate others. Paul said that. Guys, imitate me as I follow Christ. You should be able to see Jesus within me. That's what Paul said. That's good. That's healthy. We should look to that in leaders. But Paul could never have taken the church's or God's place to the church. Never, he wasn't supposed to at all. Ultimately, we're looking to Christ, loving Christ, pursuing him. Perfect, Exodus 32, Exodus 32. So the, the whole um, run in there from 26 to 32 is God speaking to Moses in the mountain, telling him all the different things that uh, the people need to do, the things that he needs to build for the tent of meeting uh, and the altar, and then we get to verse 32 get to verse 32 so God's finished speaking he's written down these commandments and this is what's happening with the people while Moses is up on the mountain Exodus 32 verses 1 to 6 when the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain they gathered around Aaron and they said to him come make gods for us who will go before us because this Moses the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt we don't know what's happened to him Aaron, make a man-made plan for us because this supposed leader has gone up to a mountain. He might have died. He might have been devoured. But the bottom line is we're not willing to wait. So you solve our problem. We're not willing to wait on God. You solve it for us. Aaron replied, it's quite sad. Maybe Aaron did kick up a big fuss. Maybe he was a little bit scared. But it's quite sad in this that he just jumped right in. No problem, guys. Give me your jewelry. We'll make a plan. We're not exactly sure his struggles. He obviously was human as well. But there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of um, hold from him. And replied to them, take off the gold rings that are on your ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. You see, so if any of your sons want earrings, no problem, says I can in the Bible. Um, <laughs> so all the people took off, <laughs> all the people took off the gold rings 
that were on their ears, brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, fashioned it with an engraving tool. This would have taken him time. Had to melt it down. This would have taken time of acting away from God. Made it into the image of a calf. Then they said, Israel, these are your gods who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Just terrible. They've seen what God did. They've just seen ridiculous miracles in front of their faces. And it was just so easy in a matter of moments to make their own plan. These are the gods who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of it and made an announcement. There'll be a festival to the Lord tomorrow. Aaron's kind of trying to do both. He's kind of trying to do both and. He's like, okay guys, here's your, here's your golden calf, small g, God. But also, let's have a festival to the Lord, big L. Like, let, let's worship God. I know who God is, but let's kind of add in the golden calf. Let's do a little bit of both in the process. There'll be a festival tomorrow to the Lord. Early the next morning they arose, offered burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. They sat down to eat and drink. They got up to party. So Aaron was fearful, obviously of the people as well as God. He, he, he didn't want to be swayed completely. He was still a bit concerned, so he kind of did a bit of both. But by their requests, by their challenge, they moved away from God. Don't be swayed by others. Don't be swayed by people's requests for you to move away from God. This could happen in a business setting in the climate we're in. It could happen in your personal life. Don't buy into other people's challenge and other people's pressure to move away from what God has for you in your life. So it happened with Aaron. No matter how big or small, it will lead to disaster. So back to the Baccarat. Just put it here so you can look at it. It's a beautiful device. <laughs> to run over with a car. Um, <laughs> what's your golden cough this morning? What's your golden cough? What is it that you believe will fill the void that you feel God is not filling in your life? But Craig, I don't have any idols. That was the weird Israelite people. They were, that was Old Testament or maybe that's Eastern faiths. I, I don't believe in idols. I don't have idols in my life. What are you talking about? That's for other religions. That's for people who are really struggling. They buy into that kind of weird, freaky stuff. Well, you do. I'm sure of it. My definition of an idol, there may be slightly different ones. I trust this is biblical, is anything that attempts to take first place over God in our lives and tries to erode obedience to God. An idol is anything that attempts to take first place over God, over his presence in our lives, and tries to erode our obedience to him. It can be a specific item in our life. It can be a state of being, it can be an emotion. What is it that you love more than Christ? What is it that you would take over Christ? What, if it, what is it that if it was handed over and said, you have a choice, it's Jesus or this? And if you had to make a choice, which is the thing that you'd go, I think I would probably take this over Jesus. Could be your bank account, could be your children. Could be your business, could be safety. What is it that if it really came down to it, if there was only the choice of the two, what is it that you would really struggle with in going, Jesus, I just don't think I could give that up when it came to you. 
that's your idol. There's probably a few things on that. And that will change on a daily basis. There'll be some things we struggle with for our whole lifetime. There'll be others that are different parts of our life, times in our life come in there. Car, home, bank account, safety, comfort, children, marriage, work, happiness, intelligence, friendship. The list is endless. Anything that's of more worth to you than Jesus, that's your golden calf. That's your idol. And this is a battle that needs to be fought daily because the golden calf appears all over the place and we need to slay that calf. We need to destroy that calf, that golden calf, if we're to experience all that God has for us. So, uh, coming in for a close. It's also something really important to notice about idols. They have a sneaky way of being handed over to us by other people or us handing our idol over to other people. You sort of think about it in, in, in an earthly sense with their golden calf. It would be easy to give it as a gift, right? Oh, thank you, lovely golden calf. Thank you, I'll keep it as an ornament or give it to someone else. Well, we can do the same with the idols in our lives. You might go, well, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Because we can do this without our knowledge. Well, here's an example. You're a parent of a teenager. Now, the teenager, your teenager comes up to you and says, Mom and Dad, there's something I've been thinking and processing and praying about for a long time. I really feel Jesus asking me to go and minister to the Muslims in war-torn areas where ISIS is. I really just feel that deep down, I've been processing it, I can't get it out of my heart, I just feel him talking to me, he keeps answering me when I pray, I really feel that this is what I'm supposed to do. So mom and dad idle response. This is mom and dad's idle response. Now my child, whilst it's great that God's talking to you, there is no ways that he would ever send you to a place like that. Definitely not. It's far too dangerous. It's far too risky. You've probably watched something on TV that sort of sparked your interest and stuff, but he, he definitely wouldn't tell you to go somewhere like that. That's just a little bit too risky. So, so tell you what, I'm sure that there's definitely lots for you to do around here, lots for you to do around home. Um, you can still reach him here. You can still reach him at the shopping malls here, but just going to places like that, he definitely wouldn't be talking to you about that. Mom and dad, godly response. Well, I hope so. Haven't had teenagers yet, so I wouldn't know. Wow, my child, that's quite hectic. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty scary thing that you're processing. But can we stand with you as mom and dad and pray with you as you seek God heart, God's heart on this? And if you feel that's what God's saying, and if you feel deep down that he's telling you to do that, to reach those people, do you know what? We're with you because the most important thing for you to do in life is to honor Jesus. And we are with you heart and soul and we're praying with you. Yes, there's concerns. Yes, we want to talk it through. Let's get other advice and stuff. But what's most important to us as mom and dad is that you follow Jesus. So do you see the idols that are operating in mom and dad in the first response? I would say it's the idol of safety and it's the idol of children. Those would be idols. Number one, you can't go to somewhere unsafe or anything like that because safety and comfort is an idol to mom and dad. The other one, this is our child. There's no ways we're gonna let our child leave us. There's no ways we would let them do that. We'd no, there's no ways we'd let them be in a place of danger because there's no ways God can look after them in that place. We have to look after them because we are mom and dad. Silence. Maybe I'm saying stuff that's not biblical. I hope it is. I trust it is. <laughs> The same could be said for a pastor or counselor. We have to direct people 
to follow Christ. Yes, give wisdom, yes, give advice, but ultimately and genuinely to point people to Jesus and to trust him. Can I tell you the easiest way to find godly counsel in your life? You'll be able to see this in family, in friends, in pastors, in counselors. It's that their deepest root desire for you needs to be, what is Jesus saying? If you're meeting with someone and that doesn't come through in the advice that they're giving you, it doesn't come through, and anything other than that deep root of what's Jesus saying to you, this is what I believe Jesus is saying, be wary. Because it means they're not operating out of following Jesus, they're passing on something that's an idol in their life onto you. You need to be aware of that. If their response comes with compromise, with a root of fear, with a subtle drive towards comfort rather than obedience, be wary. The same same should be said for preaching at church. The same should be said for what we say. If anything that we say isn't directed towards you loving Jesus more and honoring him more and obeying him more, then we'd be in danger of preaching idolatry to you. Same thing for anyone that we listen to. Anything but pointing you toward Christ is moving you towards idolatry. So the Israelites turn to idols. And after God speaks to Moses about the situation, he comes down to the mountain, he's in a rage, he throws down the tablets. Uh, He just can't believe this. He's been in God's presence, he's been enjoying God's presence. And imagine coming down to just hear partying, to hear celebration, and then to come down and find out that it's nothing to do with the living God. It's celebration over a man-made idol. He rectifies what's been out of order. It's a, it's a very strong rectification. You can read it. He points people to repentance. He, he tries to get their lives on track as the Israelites. He starts them again on a journey of wholeness and getting right before God, and the cycle begins again. So as we close, how do you and I deal with the idols in our lives? And you'll know exactly what it is now. It'll be the thing that, as I said, you'll, you'll, you'll feel it. It's like, Lord, what is the thing that would stop me from obeying you? What is the thing that would keep me away from your presence if I had to choose between the two? It's your idol. You'll know what it is. We might look at it and go, you Israelites, how pathetic. There is no way we would ever have built a calf. Never. We're not like that. You guys, you're the pathetic people in the Bible. <laughs> you might say that. How could you guys do that when you had God's presence? But we do it. I'd never buy a Baccarat in place of Jesus. <laughs> but the truth is that we're no different. We turn to idolatry every day and we need to be careful. So once again, what are they in your life? And Holy Spirit, just show each of us right now in this moment. Please, please soften our hearts. Please show us what is the idol that we hang on to above you. What is it that we hang on to that would hold us back from giving you our lives? Please show us that Holy Spirit. An idol will promise you lasting fulfillment uh, that will never be reached. It'll hold out this illusion of safety that, will, that it cannot create. It'll attempt to deliver safety which it does not have the power to do. It'll say it can give you control in life but only God can do that. So how do we smash the golden calves in our lives? Four things, four quick things. Firstly, accept God's call to go up the mountain. First step, first step in smashing the golden calves in your lives, in running over the Baccarat, is to accept his call to come up the mountain and be in his presence, first one. His presence is where the power is. Second one, keep your heart soft before the Lord because we cannot hear him if we've hardened our heart. And if your idol, it's very easy for that to block off a part of your heart and to harden it. Money doesn't affect me. Money's definitely not an idol in my life. It's not an idol. 
So I just don't need to ask God. I don't even need to ask him because I just know it's not. That's hardening your heart. To be soft towards God is to press in and say, Lord Jesus, anything in my life, please show me. Please show me. And then listen. So soften your heart. Third one, ask him to show you the idols. He'll do it. And he'll be doing it to you right now. (laughs) That's how good the Holy Spirit is. Just ask him. Right now, he'll be dropping into your mind everything (laughs) that is an idol in your life over him. Very simple. You have an option to either turn away or not, but he will be downloading it to you right now. If you're not a Christ follower and you're here today, he'll be showing you what you value more than Jesus. He'll show you. We can chat about that afterwards. I'd love to. If you don't know Jesus, I'd love to to, to share with you. He, He trumps anything else. Fourthly, take action against the idols with God's help and others. You'll never smash the golden calf in your life without the power and presence of Jesus, without the help of other people. That's why we need community. That's why we need Jesus first. But those four things, answer is called to come up the mountain, soften your heart as you get there so you genuinely can listen, ask him and listen when he speaks, and then ask him for his help to smash those idols. He's full of help each and every day. You see, just as Moses went up the mountain and stood in the gap for the Israelites and experienced God's presence, there was another man who went up a mountain of a different kind, Golgotha, and he stood in the gap for you and I so that we might have God's presence for all eternity. His name was Jesus. It's through him that we have life, life in abundance, and it's through him that we can see idols smashed and live to the full. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just pray that right now, Holy Spirit, I just want to invite you, I know you're with us, just in the stillness of everyone's heart, I ask that you would show each of us what is it that we value more than you? What is it that we would be happy to sacrifice relationship with you over that thing? What is it the thing that we hold above you? Holy Spirit, just show us right now. Pinpoint it right now. Just soften your heart now. Ask him in your spirit. He's speaking. He's speaking. Ask him to show you. What is it the thing that when he walked along the shores of Galilee, when he spoke to the fishermen and he said, hey guys, come and follow me. They dropped their nets and they followed him. What's your net? What is the thing that when Jesus calls you say, yes, Lord, but that thing. Lord Jesus, I ask that we would be a church, that we would be a people who daily, actively come up the mountain to be in your presence, soften our hearts to your voice, ask you to show us areas of our life that aren't right, and I ask with your help that golden calves would be smashed today. Holy Spirit, I ask that with your power, as we call on you for help right now, as you identify those things in our lives, I ask that with your help and with your power, you would help us to see those smashed again and again and again because they will never satisfy their promise. They will never bring the comfort they promise. They'll never bring the security they promise. They'll never bring what they promise. It'll be smoke and mirrors. Only you are the one who is truth, who is life. You're the source. You're the only one who brings us life and life to the full. And I pray that we would live that out as a church. 
just with your heads bowed, I just want to read something um, that uh, Haley brought out as a prayer, which is exactly spot on to what I preached on. So I just want you to listen in the quietness of your heart, then we close. This is what it says. This can be your prayer, um, your thoughts. So it's God talking what he's saying. Yes, I need you to listen and understand that I'm with you always. I never leave you. I'm always there. Come and rest under the shadow of my wing. I am your safety. I am your peace. I am your king of kings. Nothing is too difficult for me. When you come to me, I show you the power that is there. I can guide you and restore your soul. I can release you from the things that bind you and seem to destroy you. So come to me and know that I am your God and your king and that I love you. This is just so spot on. Stay away from the things that take you away from me. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for that. Lift your eyes to the heavens. Um, Come up that mountain. Lift your eyes to me and receive my love and comfort. Trust me. Lord Jesus, I ask you to release trust over people today. I ask you to release trust where we struggle to go, but God, can we really trust you with our kids? Can we really trust you with the situation? Yes, we can. Release trust over us. Come near to me and I will restore restore you. Now rest in my love. You're my child and I love you. Be the light that I've called you to be. Now you'll be able to sleep in peace and in calm. I love you, my child. I love you. Father, we we just receive that. Thank you that that just sums up who you are as God. I ask that as we head out today, that we'd head out in joy, that we'd celebrate who you are in our lives. I pray that um, in the run-up to this Africa Day prayer, you would do things in our hearts, do things in the city. But I ask that we would be a church, that we would be a people who see golden calves, who see idols smashed again and again as we pursue you with all you are, for all you're worth. Your name we pray. Amen.